Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The five women we honor tonight with nominations for Best Actress in a Leading Role have proven to be as resilient as they are talented. We salute them for their outstanding effort with these nominations. From Dangerous Liaisons, Glenn Close. From The Accused, Jodie Foster. From Working Girl, Melanie Griffith. From A Cry in the Dark, Meryl Streep. And from Gorillas in the Mist, Sigourney Weaver. And the Oscar goes to... Jodie Foster, the accused. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1989 ceremony year win for Jodie Foster. Her first Oscar win for the movie The Accused. Um, A very dark film uh and today i am joined by a guest that is you is very familiar on this podcast but many times a great friend of mine uh her debut comedy album magically malicious is out went to number one on itunes it's fiona o'brien hi fiona hi kyle i'm thrilled to be back i love this podcast (laughs) i love having you i uh i'm so glad that you could do it i'm beginning to do like a lot of repeat um guests and you're always at the top of my list is it because I'm a stay-at-home mom and you know I fuck all else to do? <laughs> and she's watching movies until the kids get home or else she's using her vibrator. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, that's exactly why. And I'm also a stay-at-home mom. A cat mom, you know. Yes, that's okay. It's all good. So this is another year of, um, you know, interesting movies. Some of them I've seen before. Some of them... Um, I haven't, uh, we will jump into it, but it was Canadian Thanksgiving weekend this weekend. How was your Thanksgiving? Um, it was good. I don't, still don't understand Thanksgiving because Ireland doesn't have Thanksgiving. And then yep. when I when I post, oh, happy Canadian Thanksgiving, everyone in Ireland's like, what are you talking about? Thanksgiving's in November. I'm like, I don't know. All I know is the kids, <laughs> the kids aren't in school and I'm drunk and it's 9 a.m. and I have a turkey in the oven. <laughs> Well, that's kind of how you have to do Thanksgiving. You have to prepare your meals the night before because the next day you have to get hammered to deal with all the family and friends. Exactly. And I had two Irish friends, um, Sandra and Martin, came over and it was nice because we were allowed people in the house and it was just me and the kids and them and we all drank far too much and then I died all day yesterday. (laughs) well that's the thing is that so um you know as i mentioned to you before we started recording it's like i took the month off of september and uh most like up of of october until this past weekend of no alcohol just to kind of reset my system and to save my bank account and then this weekend because i had so many social obligations and a rap party and blah 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 i got so hammered three days in a row that now days later i'm still paying the price for it because i'm in my 30s now and i'm experiencing those like three four day hangovers and uh they're not fun <laughs> oh it, it, it's just it's brutal it's downhill from here yeah oh I, that's how i kind of see it so yeah i think i think uh, i have to learn how to have like two beers you know three beers and like call of night and that's like my new challenge in life <laughs> well that's hard because after the one or two you've broken the seal and you're like yeah let's keep going 100 you know? i know 
But talking about, you know, uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, like I actually, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving this year because I have been on the road. I have been touring. I've been doing, um, you know, some stuff for TV. And then Daniel has also been traveling for work this past weekend. He was in Montreal for work and he drove there with his company car. So it's just been so much traveling around that we literally just didn't have time to actually go. Like if I would have gone back to Ottawa, this would have been like my fourth trip to Ottawa in the past like three weeks. And I just was like, oh my God, this year, it's just not going to happen. It's just been a hectic yeah. season it's been a hectic like holiday and uh yeah I didn't go home this year sometimes that happens but uh and sometimes that's good you need the break yeah I think Daniel might be going home to Ireland for Christmas oh I'm going um, home to Ireland for Christmas oh nice well at least you can stay because you're in Sutton County that's outside of Dublin he has to fly to Dublin and then drive for four hours in a car or two well uh, that's court. because he is a muck savage culture. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> a muck savage, like a farmer who doesn't li- Anyone who lives outside of Dublin, we call them culchies. Culchies. <laughs> it sounds he, like a racial slur. <laughs> so when he comes in from work today, just go, oh, here he is, the muck savage culchie. I'm going to write this down. Do, muck. Savage. Get- <laughs> culchie, and it's C-U-L-C-H-I-E. And he'll immediately go... You were talking to Fiona O'Brien. Today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it just—it sounds like a really dirty word, but uh, whatever. Um, okay, so this was five more movies that we got into. So this year, 1989 ceremony or best picture went to Rain Man. Best director went to Barry Levinson. Levinson, sorry. Uh, best supporting actress went to Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist. I've never seen that movie. Interesting, like to see it. Uh, best supporting actor went to Kevin Klein, and best actor went to Dustin Hoffman for. Rain Man. So, uh, speaking of which, have you been getting messages from people about Tom Cruise's face? I am looking at Tom Cruise's face and I'm thinking it's for a role. He must be doing a role where he has to be a little bit chubby. I think it's like fillers in his face, but he looks kind of like thinner everywhere else. But I gotta say, it's so interesting to me, like how hard people are coming down on Tom Cruise when there are like women in Hollywood that have like had head transplants. I know. You know? Now, the thing is, with Tom, it's obviously for a role because that man is so bloody disciplined and his with his religion and everything. This uh. is, he is doing this for a reason. I mean, I guess so. I don't know, but people have been messaging me about it. And I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of looks like he got fillers in his cheek and his chin, yes. but everything else looks kind of... Or he was stung by a bee. Probably. <laughs> he's still cute. I think, I mean, he's fucking crazy, but I always thought Tom Cruise was kind of cute back yeah. in the day. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. gorgeous well, especially when he got his teeth fixed. Gorgeous. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. He actually, he went, he went on a date with Cher, who is also known for plastic surgery. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So let's just jump into these movies. Uh, so let's talk about A Cry in the Dark with Meryl Streep. Oh, so this is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this was kind of another year where some of these movies were a little painful. And this seems to be a recurring theme every time that I have you on the podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm going to find a year where she just is going to hate some of these movies. I'm gonna... <laughs> because, yeah, A Cry in the Dark, this is the thing, because I've seen a lot of Meryl Streep movies now because of this podcast. And A Cry in the Dark, if anybody doesn't know, at, around the world, it's, som- it's sometimes known as evil angels. It's the famous, like, the dingo has my baby. It's that yeah. line that made famous by uh, Seinfeld where everyone says the dingo ate my baby. And that's not actually the line. A lot of famous movie quotes are misquoted and this is one of them. Uh, But anyway, uh, a cry in the dark. What a perfect example of another Meryl Streep movie where it's like the movie itself is so fucking boring, but her performance kind of sells it. Yes. 
and yeah. saves it. Because it's like, I find that Meryl Streep, it actually wasn't until she released The Devil Wears Prada where a lot of the movies that she made, they weren't really box office hits, you know? It was always these like artsy films where her performance was celebrated, but it wasn't like everyone was like going out to see it. Um, And you can really see why, because A Cry in the Dark, uh, you know, it's like a a, a law courtroom drama. Mm -hmm. And the subject matter is interesting because it is based on a true story, but it is a little repetitive and and it gets kind of dull because Mm -hmm. it they're not guilty then they're guilty then they're not guilty like it just kind of got annoying after a while and it was dragged out so a cry in the dark is uh the true story of the death of azaria chamberlain who was the baby in question and meryl streep and sam neill from jurassic park are the parents they're on a camping trip uh in the in the outback and then a uh, dingo uh, uh, like, uh, allegedly comes along and uh, kills this baby and drags its body out into the outback. And <clears throat> the whole thing that becomes suspicious about the case is, what was it? It was like the sweater. Like yes, it, a cardigan like, a jacket. And then if, because they couldn't prove where the sweater was, it was like, well, then there's no way that a dingo could cause these cuts and these lacerations and blah, blah, blah. And then years later, after she gets convicted and she's in jail, they actually find the little cardigan in the area and then she's proved innocent. Yeah. And actually in June, 2012, the Northern Territory coroner Elizabeth Morris declared that Azaria Chamberlain was in fact killed by a dingo and that dingoes could actually uh, have this type of behavior against humans yeah what did you think about this movie i think the baby killed itself because the state of fucking (laughs) meryl streep's hair and her accent and sam neill's shorts (laughs) she had a paul mccartney 1961 haircut i had that haircut when i was two (laughs) it's just a bowl of hair a bowl of hair on your head (laughs) i thought i watched it and and i know i'm gonna get you know, backlash for this. I have been to Australia. I have been Ayers, to Ayers Rock. I would have preferred a dingo to fucking eat me at Ayers Rock than camp there overnight, okay? Um, <laughs> is it because it's boring? Oh, there's fun. Like, you're literally going to look at a rock. And now listen, it is amazing. <laughs> it is called a Luru. That is the Aboriginal name for it. And the Aboriginal okay. people do not want tourists climbing on it and going up and down it and taking photos because apparently it's uh, very spiritual for them. And uh-huh. when um, an Aboriginal boy is 14, he is sent up the rock and apparently comes back down that day a man. Um uh-huh. So it actually has a whole load of spiritual me- meaning to the Aboriginal people. Um, and of course us white trash are like yay let's go climb on it and take a million polaroids and leave leave our wrappers all over it and so uh so i have been to the area i didn't camp out i went to a hotel because uh, i just can't deal with fucking camping um oh, I know. it it's a fascinating thing to go drive it's the same as the grand canyon i drove to it i looked at it i, I could have done it all within 10 minutes and gone home you know <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm sorry if yeah. I'm upsetting anybody. So um, so I thought the movie, the Australian movies and these crime movies that you would see in Australia are hard to watch. Because they're too boring or they're too graphic? 
they're just I <laughs> I'm gonna get so cancelled I don't know it's the it's everything I just find it hard <laughs> to watch um it even where they were, they're in uh, near Alice Springs and, and I had stayed there for a couple of weeks in, in a hostel. Now, I will admit I was smoking grass every single day and it made it a bit easier. Um, <laughs> and I was in my early 20s backpacking with my friends and we had fun. There is nothing to do there. Okay. Um, yeah. It's fascinating to go into the outback and see it. But once you go in and see, oh yeah, there is nothing here. Turn around yeah. and drive home. You know? you know well okay i mean i under i feel like because whenever i was in ireland when we went to the cliffs of moor i that was me i was like cool <laughs> like, yeah. i think we can go now <laughs> kyle i'm from ireland and i feel the exact same way about that yes <laughs> <laughs> did any like did you have a baby was there a dingo that tried to eat your baby while you were in australia <laughs> no. So, no so i but i do remember this being on the news not when i was there obviously i'm not that old mm-hmm. But I remember in Ireland seeing it all over the news. And yes, I remember the famous line, a dingo has my baby and all this. Um, Meryl Streep is the only thing between Meryl Streep and the short shorts that Sam Neill wore. That's about the most interesting part of this film. (laughs) And they were really short. Like they were giving him a yeast infection. Like they were so short. Um, And he he looked lovely. (laughs) Yeah, Samuel was like kind of cute in it. I mean, I, uh, I, I... I feel like when I think like an Australian guy in short shorts, I think of that guy in Jurassic Park that's like, clever girl. Okay. (laughs) At the end when like the raptor tricks him and he has like the short shorts with the socks, he's gorgeous. So for me, he's like the Australian hot guy. So Sam Neill is like, I have to, I'm like, well, is Sam Neill like Jurassic Park, clever girl, hot? No. Um, (laughs) But like, oh, that's right. Sam Neill was also in Jurassic Park. There you go. Right. So. I, I, uh, okay. So, but let's talk about, so Meryl Streep in this movie, you know, her accent is of course flawless. This is when she's at the top of her acting game. Um, I think that, um, she does an extremely good job. I completely see why she is nominated for it. She's the only interesting part of the movie. I think that some of the best scenes, um, with her is whenever, um, it, you see, uh, the, uh, relationship between Sam Neill and Meryl Streep, like it begins to deteriorate because um, it's like, you know, she's like, you mean that oh, I should have zipped up the tent? Just say it for once. It's like, you're blaming me and like those <laughs> kinds of things yes. and those kinds of fights and stuff like that. And just, I think that that part was kind of interesting and that part was yeah. um, a little bit more interesting to watch because a lot of the courtroom scenes, scenes sorry, became very frustrating to watch oh. because... I, well, also too, like maybe it's because I knew that they didn't do it. Like I knew that it was like the dingo thing because like this is such a famous case. Yeah. That beca- I, there wasn't any uncertainty in my mind of what the result was going to be at the end of the movie. So I think maybe that's why I found it so boring to watch because I knew what was going to happen. But there was when she does, because, you know, they go to, to court the first time and then they become uh, acquitted and they're fine. And then there's this new evidence and then they get uh convicted or she gets convicted and then she goes to prison and she's pregnant when she goes to prison and there's this really funny scene where she's in her prison cell and she can look out her window and there's like a dingo i know in in the darkness 
staring at her, just literally like, I'm coming for your unborn baby, bitch. <laughs> yeah. I got away with it the last time. I'm coming for you again. And I was like, that was a really, <laughs> that was a really weird, that kind of made me laugh. Like it was this menacing dingo where it was like, yeah. oh, I got away with murder. I'm yeah. coming for that one too. Like it was so weird. Yes. Um, but there wasn't really a lot of entertaining scenes in this movie. No. I think that for me was the one entertaining scene. Probably. I, I like you're saying, I totally agree with you. Uh, the best part was the dynamic of the relationship between mm. her and Sam Neill. And when they were at home, that was to me, mm. that was the most interesting part of the whole movie was how they were uh, communicating and how it was getting worse. And, and then that she had two other boys and, I thought she played the mom role amazingly. And I thought mm-hmm. that her, her being so short with the police and with the judge and with the lawyers and just like, she was so mental, mentally and physically exhausted and the, her short answers and how she was coming across. And she was, she was, they were saying that she was cold hearted and she had no feeling. She was a woman who had been through so much. She just did, mm-hmm. had no time to play games and no time for bullshit. And I thought Meryl Streep did that perfect. Well, that's just it. I mean, I feel like there was, or maybe this was actually the situation like during that time, whenever this court case was happening, but it did sort of seem, it's like, why does no one have any sympathy for this woman who has lost her child, yeah. her baby? And it, like, yeah, like that would affect you like mentally, or maybe this was, you know, before the time that people believed in like mental health or things like that. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure, but, or they just didn't take it seriously or something like that. But it, it's just like, those things take a toll on you. And um, this, like the courtroom scenes uh, where she was just exhausted emotionally and physically. And the judge was like, you know, like, I don't want you to answer if this is too, like, hard for you or something like that, you know. And then she was like, no, like, I want to keep going. I'm, I'm tired, but I just want to get this over with. And then she's like, you know, breaking down and, and it's so difficult for her. And you can see how exhausted she is and how frustrated she is. But then it's like the lawyers would get, like, frustrated with her because she would be trying to answer a question while she'd be, like, breaking down. And they would get frustrated with the way that she was unable to answer these difficult questions and it's like you guys are like mentally harassing yes, her absolutely that's what i wrote down i was like imagine your baby dies you're getting blamed you don't even have time to grieve you have two other tiny little kids that rely on you so you're putting on a brave face and then you're being criticized for putting on a brave face and accused yeah. of murdering your child yeah and I, I think she handled that well like she really demonstrated that very very well yes yes um I also thought it was really effective the way that they had like random groups of people gossiping. Yes. And it just kind of makes you think like, you know, something that happens in, in our own lives nowadays, whenever we hear about these kinds of court cases and stuff like that, like, I mean, I I can't really think of one like off the top of my head right now in Canada specifically, but it's like a murder trial or or something like that. And then, you know, everybody has an opinion on it, like a hard opinion on it that's based out of like facts from the news or, 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 or media outlets or something like that, or even Facebook, you know, nowadays with a lot of people. And it's like people have hard opinions on things without any evidence. It's yes. just what we've heard. And that kind of, I thought was interesting because that kind of made me think about things like that, where it's like sometimes I have a hard opinion about like some sort of a legal battle and I'm, I have such a hard opinion and I'm like, why? I wasn't there. What the fuck would I know? <laughs> I know. I know. You know? It, re- it reminded me of my mom and all her sisters and they would be gossiping about everybody. and be like, oh, she totally killed her husband. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> about, about a big merger trial in Ireland. Like immediately they're like, snap, 
that's it. That's what's happened. And I'm like, you have no fucking idea what's going on. Oh, I know a hundred percent. Um, so that line, like the dingo has my baby, that uh line was made famous not by the movie, but actually by an episode of Seinfeld. Ah. Um, and I think that they changed it to the dingo ate my baby. Yes. Um, <laughs> which was not the line. And I don't really know why this was a fact of the movie. I thought this was kind of weird. Um, it said that Meryl Streep never actually revealed her opinion of whether or not Lindy Chamberlain, this is the woman that Meryl Streep played, was innocent or not. And it's like, well, that's irrelevant because clearly in the movie, she was acting like she was innocent. Yes. That was her perspective. <laughs> I'd say Meryl Streep was like, could you just fucking get, let my hair grow and let me leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that bowl cut, that was just unforgivable. I mean, yeah. her wig in the movie Silkwood that I talked about in the last episode was a hot mess. And then this one was also just a hot mess. Like there have been, like I find Julia Roberts is often the biggest victim of like terrible wigs in movies. Um, you know, you have like Hook and then there was... Uh, I mean, too many to name, but the point is, is that there are a lot of actors that are just, you know, victims of bad wigs. And I think Meryl Streep throughout the <laughs> yes. 80s was one of them. And this has to top it. This one, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I think so too. Just like a big Beatles haircut on the her The dingo head. should have fucking eaten her. <laughs> it was the dingo on her fucking head. It was like, <laughs> what is that? But you know, yeah, of course, another amazing performance by Meryl Streep. Yes. She was the only reason to watch this movie. Her accent was absolutely flawless. Yeah. And I think that the courtroom scenes and seeing her relationship with Sam Neill was bestly, was like the best acting uh, from her in this film. Yeah, and absolutely deserved to be nominated for an Oscar. Absolutely. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Uh, no, I'm never going camping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. The last time that I went camping, my friends booked it and we ended up next to the highway, like our spot. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, when we pulled in, was driving like a Ford F1 hate crime. I was like, this is where I die. This yes. is <laughs> this is where I go out of this world. If that okay. happens to you ever again, text me. No matter where you are, I'll come and get you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, okay, so let us talk about our next nominee, Melanie Griffith, for the movie Working Girl. So... <laughs> Yeah, so um, Melanie Griffith, this is her first and only Oscar nomination. Uh, Working Girl is uh, the, it's a very compelling story of, um, you know, someone who is, I don't know if you would say blue collar, but like comes from a blue collar background that doesn't have the same advantages as other people to get into places like Yale or Harvard, but she is taking night classes, earned her degree and, you know, worked her way up the corporate ladder by being a secretary. And that was generally her role, but she actually like reads all the different like magazines and business articles and newspapers and stuff like that. And she comes up with this brilliant idea of uh, taking a company and wanting to make money for them in a business deal and then she has a new boss, uh, Sigourney Weaver, who's amazing in this movie. And she brings uh, this idea to Sigourney Weaver, who's her boss. And then uh, Sigourney Weaver ultimately takes the idea from her. And uh, the whole movie is basically about, oh my God, there's so much to explain. It's like mm -hmm. Sigourney Weaver breaks her leg on vacation. And then Melanie Griffith pretends to be Sigourney Weaver by approaching this company with the deal because she wants to get it on her own because Melanie Griffith discovers that Sigourney Weaver was going to take her idea um, and go on this deal without her. And Melanie Griffith is determined to make the deal 
by herself. So she basically like becomes Sigourney Weaver, goes into her house, steals her clothes, wears her makeup. It's a little stalkerish, like Girl mm-hmm. Next Door. What's that movie? Single, single white, female? white female. Yeah, yeah. She kind of single white females are a little bit, but it's like a comedy, so it's like charming. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I mean, you know, I- I'm not going to continue to explain what this movie is about. I feel like a lot of people know what the movie Working yes. Girl is, and if you haven't check it out, it's an amazing movie. I've seen this like three or four times. I love it. Uh, what did you think about this movie? I really love it it's kind of an iconic 80s movie um i love it i love melanie griffith in it now she i like melanie griffith no problem she's a little bit breathy with her voice um oh you know. i was like does she only speak in a whisper i know i was every a, time oh so that kind of got on my nerves it's like she's on a sex call line all the time um <laughs> <laughs> and absolutely the movie itself like to sit and watch it now in 2021 and oh jesus i mean i even messaged you while i was watching it the whole budget of this movie must have gone on hairspray and eyeshadow just for joan cusack <laughs> like, <laughs> it was okay that hair that hair it was oh. like a big croissant of hair on top of her yes. head and then it kept getting bigger and yes. bigger and bigger <laughs> till her wedding day like- Oh my god, it looked the hair it was like the hair of like Hedvig and the Angry Inch, that musical. I could just oh, it was so unflattering. And yet like the friggin' makeup, like it's the eighties was just so unflattering. It was so but it was it was so entertaining to watch it. Um mm-hmm. this movie for me, I liked the storyline, you know, I liked seeing everything. Um, you know, it's a real retro look at the eighties. Um, I don't think she deserved an Oscar for it. And maybe it was slim pickings that year. I don't know. The story was good. It wasn't great. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Thank God Harrison Ford was in it. <laughs> you know? Are you, you're like, a because like, why? Because you think he's hot? He's a oh, good actor? Like- I think he's a good actor. Now, I don't know if you, like me, watching this movie, He he's in the movie and he is the person that Sigourney Weaver has stolen Melanie Griffith's idea, is about to pitch it and uh, to him. Is it to him? And then... Melanie Griffith pretends to be her so she meets him with the idea now they meet she sneaks in as Sigourney Weaver at a party in Sigourney Weaver's clothes Harrison Ford spots her just thinks wow she's very attractive and he goes and makes a beeline for her he doesn't tell her who he is she just thinks he's some guy hitting on her now this is where the movie got a little bit weird for me like she drank a whole load of tequila shots with this guy she's never met. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Ended yeah. up back passed out. He brought her to his apartment. Yeah. <laughs> undressed her and put her in his bed. Yeah. Now he would be fucking cancelled in this day and age for that. It was the prequel to the accused, for I'm sure. I'm telling you. I am telling yeah. you. Yeah. She couldn't even like she, her eyes weren't even open. She was passed out. He brings her into the apartment and then he goes, do you want another drink? <laughs> yeah. And lo- like, what I, do you think? Oh <laughs> my God. I just, I was sitting watching it going, oh, I remember watching this in the eighties and going, oh my God, he's so gorgeous. I would love a man to do this to me. And now I'm going, <laughs> he needs to be fucking arrested. Oh, I know. It was so funny because the movie's called Working Girl and the movie started, I was watching it with Daniel and Daniel was like, oh, is this movie about a hooker? <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, but like, fair enough with the name. But uh, there, yeah, okay, let's talk about, Mel- okay, so Melanie Griffith in the movie, like, 
she 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 has this like whisper voice and never raises her voice like whenever Sigourney bursts in at the end into that you know boardroom and is like yeah this woman is my secretary she stole my idea and then you'd think that Melanie Griffith would yell back and she's like no you stole my My idea idea. like it was like speak up like it was a little frustrating but I feel like because I don't really know a lot of Melanie Griffith movies, so I'm going to assume that maybe that was a character choice because she was so soft-spoken and she was like, oh, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve this or something because of her, like, you know, background coming from, like, a working class. Like, maybe that was a character choice. Yeah. But it was annoying. Like, it was it was annoying. And I found, like, she's supposed to be working girl. She is supposed to be kicking ass, you know, and ripping the balls off businessmen. And I just thought she was too soft in it. Even, and can we please have a shout out for Alec Baldwin and his beautiful chest. Oh um, my God, I know. And he's young in this. He hasn't had any children yet. He's beautiful. Um, But even how he treats her. And she's like, you really shouldn't cheat on me. You're mean. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would have fucking drop kicked that guy from one country to the next. You know, she was just... I know. Because she was supposed to be this big empowering woman who was making a name for herself and then she was like, that's not nice. Oh. <laughs> no, it was when she walked in on Alec Baldwin having sex with Doreen. Yeah. And she walks in, she walks in and she just goes, you snake. And yeah. then leaves. <laughs> that was it. And you're like, wow, like... I I guess like in hindsight, yeah, she didn't really bring a lot of like emotional range, but like she was like emotional, like in a lot of scenes. It was just a very quiet performance. It was kind of annoying, but maybe that was a character choice. Like I'm not sure. But the thing is, is I love her in this movie. I love this movie. I've seen it so many times. And the way that, you know, she chooses to play Tess. You know, you're really, I, or at least I was like rooting for her a hundred percent of the time. And I, I could just watch her in this movie over and over again. And I could see why during the time, like in the eighties for um, women in the workplace, this movie probably meant a lot to them and why I can understand why this movie was a big deal. Um, I think though, that whenever she cuts her hair and makes it like really short and stuff like that it does it's kind of like a princess diana haircut that she yes. does for but it's kind of a bit electrocuted and it's humongous <laughs> and it kind of ages her by like 20 yes. years and fuck off sigourney weaver's 29 years old yeah right it's like do you know what a 29 year old looks like not that i'll tell you right now oh my god she's like i'll be 30 next month you're like fuck off no you weren't she was uh, 39 when she filmed this yes. movie and you're like yeah you look 39 like that makes sense to me yeah um but oh. yeah, I also, when you said the thing about Harrison Ford carrying her lifeless body up stairs, I also wrote that as like a giant yikes. Um, <laughs> fun fact about the, whenever she has that su- the surprise party at the beginning and they're like all in the closet, um, <laughs> David Duchovny, aka Mulder from The X-Files, yes. that was in there and that was his movie debut. <laughs> I didn't even spot him. I'm sorry, yeah. David. He's in the back on the left, top left <laughs> corner. Yeah. I'll have to watch it again. Um, but Joan Joan Cusack's oh. hair like kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> it was just the fact that it was like a giant croissant, like loaf yeah. of bread on her hair. Yeah. Uh, it was it was very comical. And I, I'm assuming that was like a like a comedy choice, or maybe that was the fashion, but she was nominated for an Oscar for a supporting role, and so was um 
Sigourney Weaver for a supporting role for okay. this movie. Um, I love but, jo- I love Joan. I just think she is just in everything. No matter who she plays, she's brilliant. Too. I just watched the Adams Family Values where she's the villain uh, that marries Fester. She's, she's amazing. Amazing in that. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, it is really funny whenever, uh, or one of my... I think one of the better acted scenes is whenever, you know, Sigourney Weaver, she bursts into the meeting and she's like, this is my secretary. And then Melanie Griffith has to like walk out of the room and it's like super embarrassing and like super cringe and you feel really, really bad for her. I think that that was a really well, um, you know, acted scene. I think that her relationship with Alec Baldwin, it was very much like she kind of didn't really care that her relationship was over with him and that he was with Doreen now. Um, because she was choosing to be a businesswoman instead yes. of uh, being locked down to a husband and have kids and stay on Staten Island and stuff like that. And I don't know, like, I really loved her in this movie. I think that she was the right choice. I think that that uh, that that whisper voice was so appropriate to the character. Maybe she's like that in every movie. I don't really know a lot of Melanie Griffith movies, to be honest with you. I know. Um, I did that. But it I, worked. I searched. <laughs> I was like, what else is she in? Because I'm not... All I remember from Melanie Griffith is working girl wearing trainers or runners and leg warmers yeah. to work and those scenes walking through New York, the atrocious hairdo. I remember, yeah. and like, don't get me wrong, Melanie Griffith, you know, she is a superstar, looks amazing in suspenders and underwear. And as they showed in every shot that they could get her in her underwear, she was there. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> you know, and I was sitting going, wow, she's an amazing body. Um, Beautiful, but... I don't know. I I don't think it was Oscar worthy. And then I have to think, well, in the 80s, was it because obviously I was only a child? It must have been so difficult for women to move ahead in business that maybe that idea of a woman doing this was more Uh what the Oscars were pointing towards. I think so as well, because that's a thing that we talk about a lot in this podcast where it's like, you have to also remember like when this came out and like what like women's rights were like at the time. Um, Apparently Melanie Griffith uh, had a really bad drinking problem when she was filming and um, the director began to fine her $80,000 every time that she would have to hold up production as a way to get her to stop drinking. And they even Ah. hired a, yeah. And they even hired a nurse to test her sobriety daily. Okay. Well then maybe that's what the voice was about. (laughs) Um, the scar that Harrison Ford has, remember they like comment on the scar on his chin. Yes. Um, he actually got that in real life by crashing into a pole on Laguna Canyon road in Laguna beach, because he was a player at the Laguna playhouse. Oh, um, so there you go. Wow. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Meryl Streep were considered for the roles of Tess and Catherine. Now that's interesting. You know, it's, I think that Meryl Streep as a, as the Sigourney character, as Catherine, I think that would have been interesting. But then you think about when she was the boss in The Devil Wears Prada and people never really saw Meryl Streep in that kind of role before. Yeah. So maybe The Devil Wears Prada would have had less of an impact if she would have played Catherine in Working Girl. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, uh, okay, well, I don't know. Melanie Griffith, I honestly, this is the only thing that I, like, honestly really know her from, but I love her in this movie. I've seen this a million times. I'll probably 
you know, watch it again. You're rooting for her the whole time. I do think that, yeah, the like little whisper voice was kind of getting a little frustrating, but like, meh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a lovely 80s iconic moment. Um, it didn't hold as much power watching it now, obviously. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Um, no, no, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about Glenn Close and Dangerous Liaisons. Okay, so first of all, there are so many things that I have to say about this movie. Because <laughs> first of all, Glenn Close being nominated for a lead makes no sense to me because she is the most supporting character. She had top billing and I understand that. And I'm sure that in the book, she's one of the main characters, but in the movie, she maybe has like 20 minutes of screen time. If anything, Michelle Pfeiffer, who was nominated for a supporting role for this movie was the lead and Glenn Close would have been supporting. And anybody listening, if you don't know what Dangerous Liaisons is uh, for maybe a younger crowd, it's basically like Cruel Intentions is what Cruel Intentions was based on. So basically it's like these two awful people during the 18th century, um, like high society, it's like a widow and a like a player, and they basically just fuck with people's lives. They try to take away, um, like, if somebody betrayed them, it's like they would like try to ruin their life essentially. And Glenn Close specifically is trying to ruin what was his name? There was like this guy that had like betrayed her. Yes. And then John Malkovich's character, she used John Malkovich to ruin the virtue of Uma Thurman's character to get back at the guy that betrayed Glenn Close because Glenn Close's, I mean, the guy that betrayed Glenn Close wanted to marry Uma, Uma Thurman. Because she so was then a if her Exactly. So if her virtue was ruined, then like everything was ruined. And, um, then um, John Malkovich, who the whole movie was basically like John Malkovich's um, yeah. character. Uh, he then sees um, Michelle Pfeiffer, who I think she's married, right? Yeah. She's from, yeah. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to ruin that. So then he like attempts to ruin her as well. And then in the process, like falls in love with her. And then everybody dies. It's like, I've never seen this movie before, but I will say that Glenn Close was without a doubt my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I loved how evil she was and I loved how, because it's very difficult to play super evil, but also be like likable and fun and charming. Yeah. Not like, maybe charming is not the right word, but just sort of like you enjoy watching her just be just wicked. Yeah. Where with John Malkovich, honestly, I didn't, I couldn't stand him. I could not stand his character. I loved him. Interesting. Okay. So had you, had you seen this movie before? I had seen it obviously years ago. And I think I only watched it because Michelle Keanu Reeves, who is my crush for my whole life was in it. And Michelle. Really? Yes. Now. I. Oh my, I've never understood it. I'm like, I, I've never understood. I've never seen him as like a sexual person. Oh, Kyle. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. When I am going to have a sexual relationship with him, he will not be allowed to speak. <laughs> In my fantasy, he is mute. Um, yeah. Because he is just such a beautiful looking person. Since, since I first saw him in Paula Abdul's music video, Rush Rush, <laughs> oh my god I fell in love with him and he he's just so gorgeous now 
Uh, I knew he was in this movie and I like Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm a big Grease 2 fan. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, yeah, uh, that that is why I watched Dangerous Liaisons years ago. I didn't quite understand it years ago. So it was lovely to watch it again with my adult head and be able to go, oh, all the fucking mind games and the plotting and everything. Um, and absolutely, I thought Glenn Close, her character was fabulous. You're right. She didn't have as much screen time as, for a leading actress that she should have had. Um, right. And I thought John Malkovich uh, was fabulous in it. I hated him. Oh, he did a good him. job. I just hated him. I oh, just hated him. But you were supposed to hate him and he was fabulous. But what I mean by like that is just because it's like Glenn Close was evil, but it's one of those things where it's like Regina George from friggin' Mean Girls where it's like, she's fabulous, but she's evil. Where in this, it's like, uh, I found that like uh, John Malkovich's Valmont, it was like there was nothing about him that I enjoyed. It was I just hated him. Every scene I hated him in, like every scene. Okay. Where like yeah. with Glenn Close, it was like, oh, what is she gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Um. So like out the gate, the American accent thing really threw me. Yes. Because they're supposed to be in France, yes. and everybody has a thick American accent. So in my head, it's like if you're gonna speak English, you should speak with a British accent. <laughs> and all of those people could probably do a very good British accent. Yeah. I think that uh, in the age of innocence, uh, Michelle, Fe- I can't remember if she had a British accent in that, but like, you know, like I feel like they should, I mean, I guess that's a choice or whatever, but yeah. um, you know, I, I, uh, there were so many great, so many great lines because, you know, Glenn Close is basically like a sociopathic woman that has used to learn uh, her survival skills are, is information And by getting information is manipulating and lying and um, scheming and stuff like that. I mean, in the end of the movie, uh, it all blows up in her face because John Malkovich rats her out by giving Keanu like the letters that she had written of like all the things that she had done and admission of guilt. And then when she's at like the playhouse at the opera and everyone's staring at her and like shunning her and stuff like that. Um, You know, 47 minutes into the movie, though, you haven't really seen much of uh, Glenn Close. Um, and uh, I, she'd had so many great lines, though, few and far between, but so many. Like when she said, I was born to dominate your sex and avenge my own. I wrote um, that line down as the most yeah, fabulous line. I'm going to get that printed on a T-shirt. I love it. Um, I think that, you know, you don't really see her a lot. But when you do, she is, in my opinion, the scene stealer. Yeah. She does evil in sort of like, uh, you know the best way um and it, whenever everything kind of blows up and she said and he's like you know between john malkovich and, and glenn close and you know he's like a single word is required and then war and she's like all right war because she's saying like this is a game that i'm better at playing than yes. you and i really love the dynamic between her and john malkovich when suddenly because they were frenemies and then they became enemies and I loved when they became enemies. Yes. Um, and, and, and watching that, but Glenn Close is such a scene stealer in this movie. And, uh, it's like, I feel like if you're a gay man and you love like fabulous women, it's like, you have to watch Glenn Close and dangerous liaisons. Yes. Yeah. I think she, she's, she's the villain. And, um, and she does it wonderfully, as you say, and, and her lines, whoever gave her the lines of this movie, it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, they were thinking you're going to get nominated for an Oscar if you do these lines and you're, yeah. you know, in a period drama and a massive corset. 
fabulous and and she was she was an absolute scene stealer and i love the dynamic between her and and john malkovich and her dangling the carrot at him all the time and he couldn't resist and she kept moving the goalposts every time they remet it was just i loved that whole dynamic i loved watching it and i loved her making him jump through all of these hoops and it and he could have sex from anybody he was riding Uma Thurman. He was riding yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. For fuck's sake, the two most beautiful women in the world, but he still right. wanted Glenn Close because she was unattainable. And I loved yeah. that. <laughs> I like that too. And it was uh, a little, the only thing that I didn't enjoy and like I was maybe a little confused by this um, was whenever you kind of find out uh, or whenever Glenn Close's character finds out that John Malkovich actually starts to have feelings for um uh, for Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. um, whose character, by the way, was named um, Madame de Tour- Tourvel. And uh, I didn't really understand why Glenn Close was so jealous. Yeah, I understood that she was so in love with him because she uh, was a, what I loved, what was the line? She's like, I'm, I was a slave to my desire for you and you were the only person in my life that I've ever experienced that for. And uh, I, I love I love that line because I myself personally have, have been in a relationship like that where I was sort of a slave to my desire. I think it's the most toxic kind of relationship you can ever be yes. in because it just makes you crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I can kind of understand maybe why, like how she felt in that moment. But then whenever she got all jealous and stuff like that, it's like, well, he's a known playboy yes. and you knew what you were getting into and also he still desperately wants you but you're still rejecting him yeah i found that part i found that character moment a little confusing i i think when that happened she lost a bit of her power you saw a tiny bit of a weakness in her and so right yeah so for me i get what you're saying as soon as as soon as she saw that he was had an interest in michelle pfeiffer and was falling for her she got a little bit jealous. She wanted it all. But then what did she do? She left again after not being in the movie for like an hour. Then she finds out that, you know, he has feelings for Madame de Tourelle or Tourbelle or whatever. And then, and then she's like, oh, well, I'm going off to the country and I'm no longer in the movie again. And yeah. I was like, where is Glenn Close in this movie? Uh, by the way, Michelle Pfeiffer was actually offered uh, the real, the, uh, the lead role that Glenn Close played of uh, Marquise de Marteuil, but she wanted to actually play Madame de Tourbel. But I uh, was so frustrated watching this movie. I mean, I think Glenn Close was the better choice. Um, but I became so frustrated watching uh, this movie because it was like, I wanted to see so much more of Glenn Close because they, they could have done so much more with her. I mean, I yeah. realize this is based on a book, but the, from like the 18th century, oh, which by the way, in 1782, Marie Antoinette actually commissioned a copy for her personal library that was bound in blank covers so no one would recognize it because at the time, this book was so scandalous. Oh. And, and yeah, and you know, I understand that this is based on a book, but it's like, I just wanted to see more from Glenn Close because she was so good and she was so like, like just so evil. And I just loved it. And I just wanted to see more from her and she kept fucking off and it was pissing me off. Yes. She should, she should have been in it more. Obviously I've never read the book and nor am I going to, because, you know, 
but yeah, she should have been in it more. <laughs> and and her life, even the, the opening scenes of how you would get a woman ready in the 18th century with all of her chambermaids around her and everyone doing her makeup and her hair and, and washing her and dressing her. And every, oh, I found all of that fascinating. And I wish we had seen more of that. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, well, They kind of do stuff like that in Downton Abbey. I realize it's centuries later, but just sort of having like maids and and uh like a handmaid like to basically you know take like dress you and, yeah. and do your hair and i don't know brush your teeth like just shit like that it's it's kind of weird but that's what rich people paid people to do back in the day um i do think another line that i loved by her was when they were t- when uma was talking about um uh the the shame of Essentially being raped by John Malkovich. I have that and, written down too. He'd have been cancelled. Yeah, immediately. And then she, Glenn Close, to add to the manipulation, says to Uma, oh, you should enjoy it. You should enjoy the sex because you'll find that shame is like pain. You only feel it once. And like, <laughs> I just, everything like in this movie, she's so conniving, so evil, so manipulative. And I just think that Glenn Close was the perfect choice for this. I just wish that she was more in the movie and I am calling shenanigans on the fact that she was a lead instead of supporting. Yeah. I agree with, I agree with you. I think she was fabulous. It's Glenn Close. You know, she's up there with Meryl Streep. These are fabulous actresses. They're wonderful. Um, And no matter what character you give them, they make it their own and they're, they're just so amazing. Um, I loved the aunt um, so it's Glenn Close's aunt, isn't it? In it, and mm-hmm. and she said one of the lines I wrote down. She was talking, you know, because Glenn Close was saying, "Oh, you know, John Malkovich now has feelings for uh, your woman. <laughs> What's her name, <laughs> Michelle? Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I was going to say my friend's name, Michelle Dunleavy. That's <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, the aunt was kind of like, "Oh, you know, men aren't able to devote themselves to one person." Like, just, it's a fact of life. Get over it. And I'm like, <laughs> I fucking hear you. <laughs> right? So, yes. And also, everybody must have had STDs. There was so much riding. Now, what could have made this movie better for me was a bit of seeing a bit of the riding. You know, there was a lot of ripping corsets and bed sheets moving, but you never saw an arse going for it. You know what I yeah. Maybe it's yeah. I just wanted to see Keanu's arse. Oh, I think so too. I mean, you did see some Uma titties. Yes. And I think, did you see Michelle Pfeiffer titties? I think, uh, I don't, did you? I don't think so. I can't remember, but uh, Uma, Uma Thurman has uh, some uh, perfect boobies. But, yes, uh, she does. And she's, be- and she's beautiful in it. Now she's, uh, the character she plays is a pain in the ass and she's so virginal <laughs> and, uh, you know. Yeah, um, right. You know, and all of this writing letters on people's arses they lean on your bum to write the letter. (laughs) It was just, it it was beautiful to look at. Like, did they, I'm guessing they won an Oscar for cinematography or for the wardrobe. Did they? I think that this movie may have won three Oscars, I believe. But I think it was costume, yeah. Yeah, the costume and the scenery and everything was, like, it's beautiful to watch. It's a masterpiece. But uh, like you're saying, I think Glenn Close in it is amazing. She wasn't on long enough. It it's exactly what you're saying. She deserved to, you know, be nominated yeah. for an Oscar or an Oscar nod. But, you know, you have leading actresses that are in the movie from start to finish. 
Yeah. I mean, the whole movie was really just John Malkovich, but yeah. talking about the costume. So Madonna wore one of Glenn Close's costumes in a 1990 MTV video yes. music award performance of Vogue. Um, My and- son makes me watch it all the time. Oh, there you go. And then uh, Alan Rickman was actually the person that made this role of Valmont, uh, John Malkovich, famous in London on Broadway. But the filmmakers didn't even consider Alan Rickman for the role because he was unknown because he hadn't been in Die Hard yet. And they wanted a more established actor. And I think that John Malkovich at this point had been nominated for an Oscar for a supporting role in like 1985 or 1986 or something like that. So they... um, wanted to go with somebody that was a little bit more known. Wow. Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of John Malkovich because every time that I watch John Malkovich, I don't know what it is, but I'm very aware that I'm watching John yes. Malkovich act. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's it's I don't know what it is about him, but um Anyway, all of this to say that um Dangerous Liaisons, I think that if you have never seen the movie, um I think the only movie the only reason to watch it for me personally is Glenn Close. Uh, Cruel Intentions is a more entertaining version of it, I guess. But like, uh, Glenn Close for me was the movie, mm-hmm. and I think she was so she was so wonderful in this movie. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to add before we move on? No, other than I'm hating men more and more as we go through all these movies. <laughs> yeah, they're not uh, not doing so great for uh, 1988 <laughs> film. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, Sigourney Weaver in Gorillas in the Mist, the story of Diane Fossey. Um, So Sigourney Weaver was uh, twice nominated this year in uh, 1989 at the Oscars for a lead and a supporting. The supporting was for Working Girl. The lead was for Gorillas in the Mist. I've seen this movie before. um, And uh, Sigourney... Weaver in this movie is playing Diane Fossey, the woman that like goes and you know lives with the um, the the gorillas. Um, and I always mix her up with Jane Goodall, who lives with the chimpanzees. Yes, I believe. So I always kind of mix those two up. But Diane Fossey was apparently very eccentric and relentless, very protective of her. She referred to them as her gorillas. Um, a lot of the gorillas in the movies were actually chimpanzees in blackface with wigs because it wouldn't be safe to have young mm-hmm. gorillas uh because like and and try and use them because the adult gorillas would probably attack the filmmakers and the crew uh so they used a lot of chimpanzees for that uh jessica lang turned down the lead role due to her pregnancy i don't know why but i totally see jessica lang in this movie this just like right up her alley but i think that sigourney weaver was the right choice very well acted and if you see her in something like aliens you know or working girl and then you see her in something like this you really see her range um and it's the story of diane fossey yep just going to africa to live with the uh gorillas and study them and uh, work with national geographic and while that time is happening there's a civil war going on and the resistance that she gets from the soldiers and uh, how she protests and finds a way around by crossing a border to study gorillas. And it it's a very stressful movie. Um, a little long. <laughs> yes. Uh, a little long, a little drawn out. Um, but it is an interesting movie to watch. And it is a very good performance. What did you think about this movie? I watched this movie, obviously, um, years ago. And I hated it. And I think I fell mm. asleep. 
and woke up <laughs> and I was like, I don't even give a shit that I fell asleep. I'm never going to watch it. Yeah, we're just let's power through totally. Yes, um, and I didn't care about it. Um, so sitting down to watch this time, doing my homework for the podcast, I felt oh, oh god, I have to watch this shite. And I put it on, and it actually was so much better this time around. <laughs> right, because I wasn't, a, you know, a stroppy teenager. Now that I'm an adult, and I could enjoy it and watch it. Um, yeah. and I thought Sigourney Weaver was fabulous in it. I. I loved the storyline. Um, I just loved even watching them trekking up uh, the mountain and being in Rwanda and being in, in the Congo and and just watching um, how they had to get from the very small little city all the way up the mountain and how the men were carrying everything on their heads. And, you know, it was very, very basic and you're back to nature and you're stripping everything away and how she was surviving up there and building these little houses to live in and go and study the gorillas. And and so I loved all of those. I loved watching all of that. I thought it was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, uh, most of, so most of the critics generally agreed that Sigourney was the right choice. She nailed the part. Um, I do think that a lot of the criticism for this film was basically saying that the character, uh, the characterization of Diane Fossey uh, was very inaccurate because she was extremely eccentric. And I think when they say eccentric, I think they mean like crazy. Yeah. And you never really get to know Sigourney Weaver's character that well. It's like you see kind of like why and how her circumstances were but you didn't really see who she was necessarily Mm -hmm. and maybe why she was the way that she was because I was kind of wondering a bit like well what about your husband back in the states is are you still talking to him are you ever returning to the states when you chose to stay in Africa to study the gorillas what was that moment that was your I'm never going back moment yeah um there were so many things about the movie that I wish I could have seen that I didn't get to see that I felt I w- should have been in there because yeah, yeah, the gorillas are interesting and stuff like that. But like, I don't know, like it just kind of got a bit like, okay, but also like, it's supposed to be the story of Diane Fossey, but it's really the story of the gorillas, which is interesting, you know, as well. Like it was interesting to see um, whenever she was with those apes and they were like climbing on her and playing with her as an actor, I would be terrified. Yeah. You know, because those animals are unpredictable and very dangerous and strong. I mean, for Christ's sake, did you ever see that Oprah in 2006 about that woman that had her fucking face ripped off by a monkey? No. Yeah. And now it's just like a frosted Timbit. It's so uh, fucked up. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> dangerous animals. Dangerous yeah. animals. So I thought that that was very interesting. A very um, brave performance, if you will. Um, I think that her acting for me that like really sells it is when she is just not having it with the local like tribes that are hunting these gorillas beheading them taking their hands and um they also by the way never really explained why they were doing that like is it a delicacy is it like a like you know do you sell it on a black market because it's worth so much like why are you yeah. cutting off specifically the hands? There were a lot of things that I was wondering about where they were like, uh, oh, you know, um, we could answer that question, but let's just get like 20 more minutes of Sigourney Weaver falling into shit. You're like, great. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I just think that uh, it, it, it w- this was probably the slowest of all the movies, kind of like Cry in the Dark, but I did certainly find it more interesting than A Cry in the Dark. 
Uh, and um, whenever she, whenever they kill Digit, her favorite, the one that she identified with, because, you know, Digit didn't fit in with the other gorillas. So she's like, oh, like, I'm going to project myself onto you. <laughs> and then when Digit gets his head cut off and his hands cut off and she burns down the local tribes, like, huts and she just goes fucking crazy and pretends to kill the guy and yeah. scares the shit out of the kid by saying that she's like a witch and I kind of enjoyed that that was like, like the climax of her performance for me that I, I thought was really good when she just fucking loses it and she goes she gets kind of violent yeah yeah absolutely I, I agree with everything you're saying there was times in the movie where I had to pause it and google questions that I had um, mm-hmm. I, and I was like how long is she on this poxy mountain and how long was yeah. she <laughs> And did she ever go back to America? And what happened to her fiancé? And now she's riding a new fella, the photographer from National Geographic. And there was loads of unanswered bits that I had to go and check. Um, And I thought she was very powerful. And as you're saying, her strongest performances were when she was battling with the poachers and battling with that German businessman who was obviously paying the poachers to go and get the gorillas. And and when you think about... um, conservation of the gorillas and all of that all of that was so powerful and she was really perfect for that role Mm. i really really was taken in by all of those scenes it seemed like you know oh the scene whenever she gets back that baby gorilla oh my god that was so i was like oh thank god like it was weird like seeing the adult gorillas die you were like oh but then when it was like the baby gorilla i was like oh fuck no so she gets back the baby gorilla and then it's like interesting And I guess this was kind of demonstrating like how she had changed. Diane Fossey had changed because it almost seemed like she just didn't care about the humans at all. Like if she would have killed a human, she didn't, but it seemed like if she would have, she wouldn't have cared. Yeah. It seemed like she was, and there's just this kind of like sociopathicness to her because she cares so much about these gorillas that you're literally like, whoa. And I think that Sigourney Weaver did that, played that very, very well. Although I do want to point out that in the five years that she was there, she never changed her socks. What? Not once. Those red socks with the white trim. Oh. I was like, oh my God, what would that smell like? Do you have, <laughs> wash? like, do you wash your clothes? I don't think so. Also, the her, like, lover that comes in there from National Geographic, I had to also Google if he was the Australian guy from Jurassic Park that was like, clever girl. No, that's Sam so, Neill. <laughs> I know, and I was like, I thought that was him. I was like, because it kind of looked like him. I was like, oh, is that him? But it wasn't. No. But so, no. like, she was great. I mean, I think you're right. There could have been less scenes of, of gorillas tumbling in the grass with her and more scenes of what her. I wanted to know more about um, Diane Fossey. And, and like you're saying, when I did stop the movie a couple of times to Google about her, they were saying the portrayal wasn't actually true to what the real woman was like. Um, yeah. that, that it was Hollywoodized for cinema. Um, and so I would have liked to have seen her be a little more batshit crazy. I think that would have been more interesting. I agree. And the thing is, is, you know, because it is Hollywoodized, it's one of those things where you can't really fault Sigourney for it because it's like obviously their choice and it's like, but I I do agree with you. Yeah. It's like, I would have liked, it would have been, it would have made it more realistic. Um, You know, she played the character in a very tenacious way and it was like, there was no stopping her when she wanted to do something. And I thought that was uh, very well done. I also really liked whenever 
<laughs> I also thought uh, I thought it was just like eye roll. It, maybe these things don't age well. I could be wrong, but whenever she was like standing up to the soldiers with guns, and she was like pulling them out of their hands or fighting with them, and she's like, "I'm an American." Yes. It's like, oh god, like you just. <laughs> It's like, just shoot her now. (laughs) Just fuck off. And then um, when she does get kicked out of, when the soldiers kick her out of her original campsite, and then she has to walk with all of the people that are being evacuated from their village. And you're like, oh, that's so sad. And then she gets to stop off on the road at fucking Martha Stewart's summer home, (laughs) summer cottage. And then she's like, I'll catch up with you guys later. Enjoy your poverty. Enjoy your genocide. Bye. And then she goes into this fabulous cottage and she has like a shower. It's like a spa. And you're like, oh God. Like, I swear to God, I wrote that exact (laughs) scene down. I was like, what the fuck is going on? She's been thrown out of the Congo, walking over the border, fighting with soldiers. Cut to the next scene and she's in a fucking beautiful B&B on the side of a mountain drinking a cup of tea and where are all the peasants that she was walking with and stopping and going, help me, I need to get to whatever. And she just suddenly walks down the road and there's a and b and a white woman. Oh, hi, come on in. Yeah, exactly. She's like, oh, thank God, white people. Great. And she just like pulled off yeah. into her little cottage. That was, yeah, I thought I thought that was really, really funny. I was like, oh, dear. God. I was laughing at that too. And I was like, how the fuck did she even know? She didn't have Google Maps. She didn't have a phone. And she suddenly just walks by the gate of this pristine, beautiful garden. And her white just woman for her. was there. Yeah, just for her. Yeah, like, oh, there you are. Um... And then in the end, she gets killed, but mysteriously. Yeah, now I had to pause again and Google, did nobody investigate her death? Was there ever a, <laughs> like... I guess, not. maybe there was not enough proof, maybe there was not enough evidence, maybe it's the... Maybe nobody know, gave a shit because they were sick of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the judicial system in that country, I don't know. I, it, it For sure there was, it's implied that some guy used a machete and like, I'm assuming cut her head off or I, I don't really know what was going on there but yeah they, she died under mysterious circumstances so hmm maybe she was killed yeah um and uh you know they said at the end that because of her work that the gorilla population has uh been protected and increased and I'm pretty sure now in two, 2021 that gorillas are an endangered species so this is still probably going on so yeah yeah, I, I, I mean, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but like, I, I don't know. We're blowing up the planet. We're, uh, we're, yeah. we're, we're all fucked, fucked anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're all fucked here. Um, okay. Are do you have anything else that you would like to add uh, before we move on? Uh, no, apart from I just thought they were like she died. They buried her. The end. I was like, God, <laughs> is anyone going to ask what happened? <laughs> yeah, under mysterious circumstances, and we'll never know. Goodbye. He yeah. was like, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Jodie Foster in The Accused. So just before I talk about what this movie is about, I thought it was so interesting because John Hinckley Jr.'s assassination attempt of Ronald Reagan in the early 80s actually forced, because he was trying to do it to impress a young Jodie Foster because he fell in love with her in Taxi, which, ew, she was a child prostitute. yeah. And he attempted to kill Ronald Reagan to impress her. So she had to take a break from Hollywood. She went to school. She did have to take a prolonged, well, she had to take a bit of a sabbatical from school 
she was going to Yale because uh, she needed to go into hiding to protect herself from this in this psycho. And then after she kind of came back from that, her acting projects that she had done, her films and stuff like that was not very, they were kind of box office flops and they weren't really critically acclaimed. So the movie, The Accused was literally her last attempt at revitalizing her career. And when she originally saw um, the screening of this performance, she thought that it was awful and that this movie would completely ruin her career and then she won an Oscar and then the rest is history. So I just wanted to say that as a preface. And so I thought that was very interesting. So the movie, The Accused is about um, a woman uh, and it is actually uh, based on a real life gang rape of Cheryl uh, Arujo, who was uh, gang raped in New Bedford, Massachusetts on March 6th, 1983. And, um, the, the there were basically people cheering on this gang rape at this bar and basically the story is to convict not only the people who had committed the rape there were three of men that did this but also the men that were cheering it on that were allowing this to happen and Jodie Foster is the victim uh the rape victim in the movie and Kelly McGinnis is the lawyer defending her you would probably recognize her best from uh, Top Gun or from uh, the um, Top Gun or a, a witness with Harrison Ford. And um, she's also in real life a lesbian and so is Jodie Foster. And allegedly they were dating at the time whenever uh, they were casting this movie and Kelly McGinnis actually fought for Jodie Foster because Kelly McGinnis was offered the role of Sarah, but she declined because in real life, Kelly McGinnis was held at knife point and raped in her New York City apartment in 1982. So she actually wanted to play Catherine Murphy, the lawyer defending the rape victim, because I feel like that would probably be more of a justice mm -hmm. for her. For Kelly McGinnis, I mean. Yeah. Um, what did you think about this movie? Oh, sweet Jesus. Now. <laughs> it's, it's hard to watch, because <laughs> you do see the rape scene. Now, I had to brace myself for this movie. My one of my best friends in Ireland, this is how I knew about this movie. We were like 14 when this movie came out and her parents were both um, psychiatrists and they brought okay. her to see this movie. And I remember mm. her coming to me because we were too young to go to see it in the cinema and her parents brought her because they thought it was very important for her to see this movie as a young girl. And I mm. remember my friend coming to me after seeing it and telling me about it. And I was like, why would your parents sit you through a movie about a gang rape? And what the fuck is yeah, gang right. rape? And and it was horrific. And so I was very disturbed by this movie before I had ever even seen it. It already had traumatized me. And I watched it years ago and I was traumatized by it. And so when I knew I had to watch it, and I knew when we were picking the year that Jodie Foster won for it, this brings up so much emotion in me. And I don't mean just mm. as a woman. Just mm -hmm. the movie and the role. And I think she was so brave to take it on and to play it. And mm -hmm. it's a fabulous movie. Every single bit of it. I just love all of it. You know, it's interesting. I I mean, the actual like gang rape scene. Like, can you Im like imagine having as an actor having to film something yes. like that? It was extremely graphic. It was extremely 
as realistic as they could make it. Apparently, uh, Jodie Foster had to console a lot of the actors, um, which I think is kind That's of so funny that she typical of men. <laughs> She had to console them, I know. And, and I know, I know, I know. And I literally was just like, oh my God. But like, apparently this was very difficult. A lot of the actors, the male actors were like getting sick, rushing to their trailer. They, they, they this was a very difficult scene. Uh, and it's like, yeah, well, imagine how Jodie Foster felt. Yeah, oh, but, so take care of the men. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would actually kind of say that this film and the movie Working Girl were the only kind of movies in the in of the five that were really um, compelling and really keeping my attention. And I think that um, the first of all, the bar. Remember the bar? Yeah. It was called the like mill. the the mill. The mill that fucking looked like every single yes. road gig that I pull up to in small town <laughs> Ontario, where I'm like, oh god. And and by the way, this whole movie was filmed in Canada. Yeah. So I literally was like, oh no. And so um, when the movie opens on, uh, because you don't see the rape scene until kind of the end of the yes. movie. Whenever you see her, the movie opens at her running out of the bar, terrified. Uh, severely bruised, severely cut. Her clothes are disheveled. She gets into a car. Then she has to go to the hospital and they're, um, you know, they have to do like a rape kid and they're taking photographs and they're asking her very difficult questions and they're being very impatient with her. Yeah. And you're like, okay, hey, she literally was just gang raped and she's bloody and bruised. Like yeah. maybe, you know, be a little bit more sensitive. And um, I think that Jodie Foster, it was so real it was so believable it was so difficult to watch from start to finish and there is this kind of attitude where a lot of people weren't taking her seriously because it was like well what were you wearing yeah and well you know you you have a reputation for being a drunk how many or, drinks and, that you had you'd smoked weed yeah oh yeah oh and uh, apparently you and your girlfriend were making jokes that you were gonna have sex with that uh college guy to get back at your boyfriend and yeah. it was like Okay, so then she deserves to be pinned down and beaten and raped. Like, I know. what? I know. But I mean, of course, this is rhetoric that, of course, people use, and that's why it's so difficult to watch because a lot of these things sound very familiar. So this mm. type of movie, it is um, very difficult to watch, and for the time, this was probably the most graphic yes. rape scene ever in movie yeah. history. I think the other one, or at least to my knowledge, was in the movie "The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo." Okay where this disgusting guy like rapes like Rooney Mara and it is so fucking disgusting. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's, it, you don't need to. No, <laughs> it's just so fucked up. Um, but then remember whenever Jodie Foster calls her mom and her mom's like, well, what did you do? Yeah. Cause it's like, she's used to her daughter always being in trouble or needing money yeah. or she's like, I was wondering if I could like come home and she's like, what's wrong? No, you can't come. I'm going away. And it was just like, her mom's a fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, and, and, her, so it's like, and her boyfriend a couple of days later wants sex and she's like and he's kind of like you know you're milking this <laughs> oh my god I know and so it's like the whole thing is basically just to show you know that like she has no one no one believes her yeah. and I guess it's to demonstrate that a lot of uh, victims of rape often don't have um, they get no justice yeah. and how alone they feel and I, you know, you feel that for her character. I think that was done. I think they did that very well. I, I could, I just, this just, oh my God. It just makes my blood boil, this mm -hmm. whole movie. Um, Where was 
the emotional support? Where was the therapy? Where was anything? Uh-huh. It was l- like, okay, physically we will patch you up, but then you're on your fucking own. <laughs> Off you go, back to the trailer, live on your own. Your boyfriend wants sex two days later and he's annoyed you won't give it to him. You know, and it, but it's so real. It's so real. I think there, there are certain people out there and, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but some men's self-gratification overrides a woman's safety and, and health and her mental health. A man coming seems to be more important than a woman's life. That's what mm-hmm. this movie screams at me. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, it just makes me so mad. It's such a great movie that it stirs up all of these emotions. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's just it. And it, it should it should make you mad. It should make you mad. Like, it, it's an absolutely infuriating thing. And, you know, I just think... Um, uh, on a lighter note, I did think it was fucking hilarious whenever she decides to go into the bathroom and give herself like a gas station bathroom yeah. haircut. And she walks out of that fucking bathroom with, she looked like every woman coming out of first choice haircutters. <laughs> and just a hot mess, just like a porcupine on her head. Yeah. It was the fugliest, but at the time, like that shit was probably so fucking hot, and it was just like, oh, like what did you do, <laughs> Jodie Foster? Like woof. But maybe I thought, and maybe because the haircut at the time was stylish, but I thought maybe she did that because it was a way of taking away yes, some of, some her of her hers. Exactly. Was that why she did it? Do you think, yes. or like was that like a hot haircut? Like no, I don't know. I, I think it was. I don't want to attract. How can I make myself? as unattractive as possible. Be- uh, I Okay, because I, but at the same time, the reason why I question this is because in the 80s, like that shit was hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. those awful haircuts. Maybe. I mean, in Working Girl, remember that Remember that woman in Working Girl where they're like, hey, we saved up a bunch of money so that you can get like bombed one night whenever Tess gets fired. And then one of the women, her hair, it was like spikes on top <laughs> with like a mullet in the back. <laughs> And you were like, oh, you did that on purpose. Like, that was... <laughs> and this was, like, your office business look. Like, dear God. Yeah, but I know. So that's that's why I was kind of like, did she do that to, like, you know, get rid of some of her beauty? I don't know. But, um, you know, every scene she nails, every single scene she is a victim, oh. every scene you, still, you feel sorry for her. I think, actually, the scene that uh, I... I don't know if I remember whenever she's coming back with the lawyer from the hospital and um, with Kelly McGillis, Kelly McGillis, the lawyer, and she's in her car and you can tell how horrified she is from what happened, how traumatized she is. But she's like, Jodie Foster is like trying to make conversation and you can tell that she's just in a state of shock and she's like, Oh, like, what when were you born like what's your astrological sign and and then like kelly mcgillis is being so resistant toward her and it's like oh my god just give it to her kelly mcgillis because she's been through one of the worst things a human being can be through and just the way that she was just in shock and the way that she's acting and she kind of has tears in her eyes but she's just it's this trauma and she just seems so horrified like jodie foster in this movie played the, the, so when she won her Oscar for Silence of the Lambs, the reason why she wanted to do Clarice was because she was the opposite of a victim. Because she had won her Oscar for the accused playing the ultimate victim. Yeah. So why she wanted to do Silence of the Lambs, it was kind of like a an empowering thing for her to play, to play Clarice. And yeah. that's maybe why she played it so well. Because in The Accused, she plays the victim 
perfectly. Like you are suffering with her. You, you feel her frustration. You feel her anger that like no one believes her. And that, you know, uh, the frustration of being like, well, you were asking for it kind yeah. of thing. And oh it's just, my God. Yeah. it's so difficult to watch and it's because of the performance. Just, she was just perfect. Like if anybody ever deserved a bloody Oscar, you know? Right. Yeah, right. Um, she was just so fabulous. And and all of the people in it were so good. Even the scumbag men who were cheering on the rape, the guy with the scorpion tattoo. Um, <laughs> you know, all, everybody, everybody who they cast was perfect in their role. And that, that's why I think this, this movie makes me so emotional because it, you feel like you're watching this real live thing happening everybody is so good in it it's such a good and it's such an important movie because holy shit this shit happens every day like at the end of the movie you probably were going to mention this at the end of the movie it says a woman gets raped every six minutes in america and one out of four rapes it's two or more men who are the attackers and you're just sitting there going holy shit in the time we've done this podcast you know, <laughs> yeah, right. how many yeah. people have been fucking raped? It's just yeah. rape seems to be this crime. And it sometimes it just so many people don't get justice. And so many women don't go to the police and don't um, report it because they fear they won't be believed. And that's why I think this movie was so important. Here you have a woman who was dressed you know, a denim skirt and a, and, and a, like a t-shirt, a tank top. A tank top. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not like, look at what the fucking hell, look what people wear now. They're going out. Jesus Christ. You know, I'm looking at, in the newspapers and there's people wearing literally a fishing net with no underwear out to dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And so she's in a denim skirt and a tank top and she's dancing sexy. Like we have all done. She's had a few drinks. Like we have all done. But she was on her own. She had nobody to protect her. And you got a pack of scumbag men who them coming is more important than that woman's life. I just, it fucking drives me crazy, but it's such an important movie because here you have someone who was on her own, drunk, dancing sexy, and next thing she's more or less told, you put yourself in that position, that's what you get. Yeah. Yeah, and whenever she's on the the witness stand, um, and the, you know the lawyers have to kind of prove their point of being like, so you can't prove that there were four people there. You can't prove where the voices were. And then she's like, well, no. And then like, you know, those scenes are also very difficult to watch. You yeah. can see how hard it is for, um, you know, this character Sarah Tobias, and um, just every scene was just, Mwah. oh, she's uh, fabulous. Okay, so do you have anything else that you would like to add before we reveal who we think the Oscar should have gone to? Uh, where can I sign up to become a lesbian? <laughs> Please tell they me. They do a raffle once a month. Okay, so cool. I'll, uh, I'll get you the seeds. <laughs> yeah. They go door to door in my building. So. Um, all right, so you are my guest. If you could do the honors of letting me know who you think that the Oscar should have gone to. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Jodie Foster. Amazing <laughs> performance. I figured that it would be. Uh, why? Just, it's such an important role and she did it justice. She was fabulous. She didn't care how she looked or was portrayed or she knew this was groundbreaking, sorry, groundbreaking stuff. 
and she went at it a hundred percent and I just loved it. Um, when you said browned graking, I didn't even <laughs> think I knew exactly what you meant. I was like, yeah, brown graking. <laughs> of I'm course, so emotional. I'm so emotional. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's I'm like, yeah, brown graking. I love it. Um, <laughs> all right. So I will go. So I think the Oscar should have gone to. Jodie Foster for The Accused. Um, normally, whenever I do like more than one, uh, you know, actor or actress uh, for, you know, winning their multiple Oscars and stuff like that, usually I have like a win-lose situation on, on this show. Uh, the, the two so far have been uh, Hilary Swank for Boys Don't Cry, Million Dollar Baby. Oh, no, actually, you know, I think that I picked uh, Annette Benning, I believe, instead of... Uh, I can't remember who I picked, but the point is, is that Jodie Foster for me is like one of the only people on this podcast that I would give both of the Oscars to because in the accused, she plays the ultimate victim. And then in, in the silence of the lambs, she plays the ultimate heroine. So it's so interesting to see that range and that diversity of acting from her and seeing her in this movie. I've seen this movie before, but I, 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 I wasn't, really paying that close attention to it not 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 like this time where i had to talk about it after and this time it just really deeply affected me it was difficult to watch the performances was just flawless on everyone's end including the men that had to do that awful scene you know like it was very realistic um and uh jody foster is so brave to do something like this and it was a huge risk and a huge gamble on her career and it ultimately paid off she won her first oscar for this and i think that she absolutely deserved it of all of the people um in this year all right, so uh, that concludes another episode of Best Actress. And uh, Fiona, where can people find you on social media? Oh, you can find me on Facebook. I don't know for how much longer the way things are going. <laughs> Just Fiona O'Brien, maybe on Facebook. And on Instagram and on Twitter at Real Fiona O. And I post any shows. I've I've a load of shows coming up, so I, I just post them up on my social media. I do have a website, and I'm shit at updating it. Um, FionaO'Brien.ca. <laughs> Um, if you are living in the Toronto area, I will be doing a show October 22nd. I will be headlining it at Comedy Bar called It Gets Bitter. It's a semi-LGBTQ friendly, uh, but mostly pro-comedy showcase with comedians from Just for Laughs, The Debaters, and uh, The Comedy Network. So that's October 22nd at Comedy Bar. If you're in the area, come and check that out. Uh, Fiona, thank you so much for being a guest, and we'll definitely have you back. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs>